The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. The next day, Jesus decided to go into Galilee. He found Philip and said, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said, come and see. Now Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and he said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus said to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael said, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. And Jesus said, you believe because I say I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than these. And he said, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let us pray. Father, we believe that you inspired John to record these words, this moment in the life of Jesus. And we believe, Father, that these words not only had power for John's day, but they have power today in this place if we will hear them. And so we pray, come Holy Spirit and open these words to us, perhaps as never before, that we would be changed changed more to be like Christ. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to be seated. Is there hope for timid evangelists? Is there hope for timid evangelists? Back in Victoria, Canada, where I, was, uh, where I grew up, uh, there was this hard-hearted student he was a non-believer, and when topics of religion, especially Jesus, came up, he was dismissive, he was arrogant, he was rude. No one could crack this hard nuts. But there was this other student, this evangelist student, who was a new Christian, who was a friend to this other student, who told this other student stories about Jesus and who kept inviting him to church. Now, what was the end of this story? Well, you'll have to wait till the end of the sermon to find out. Is there hope for timid evangelists? You see, when we read a story like John chapter 1, the story of Nathaniel and Philip and Jesus, it can put us as Christians in this awkward reality. And I mean, here's the awkward reality. We know as Christians as we read scripture, that evangelism, witnessing, sharing our faith is at the core of what it means to follow Jesus. We know this, but here's what makes it awkward. We also know that, at least statistically speaking, that 98% of us in the last six months have actually had no examples of witnessing verbally in our lives to non-believers. And that's just, that's just stats. It means 2% of Christians in any gathering have in the last six months have a, had a significant conversation with a non-believer about their faith. And I put myself in the 98%. Because I get to hang out with all y'all all the time. 
I'm soaking with Christians all the time. I need to be challenged to get out of my Christian ghetto and actually meet some other people outside Christchurch. But the reality is that in our lives, this awkward moment happens because we recognize that we've got kind of two options with this. Either we get out of the awkwardness of this sense of, okay, evangelism, but I'm not really heavily involved in that in my Christian life. And so either it does one of two things. We, we put evangelism in a subcategory of Christianity. We say, oh, well, there's some evangelists out there. We should hire an evangelist, right? We could run a video series and that would be our evangelism outreach. So we either put it in the category or if we won't go there because we can't defend that biblically, then we feel guilt. And every time evangelism comes up, it's one of those moments where I know I'm supposed to smile and be like, oh yeah, evangelism. But in my heart, I'm actually thinking, is this the moment when it looks like I'm really not walking with Jesus? Because that's not really part of my day-to-day life. And here's the problem. The reason we get in this awkward reality with evangelism, and I think John 1 teaches us this, is we often don't understand exactly what evangelism is. We think it's all on us. And it isn't. See, what John 1 shows us brilliantly is that there is a role for us in evangelism. There's things that we're called to do. And then there's a whole role that Jesus has in evangelism. And it's not kind of like we're evenly splitting it up here. It's not kind of like, well, I'll do half and Jesus does half. When you actually look at Jesus' half, the scales are overwhelmingly on his side. Jesus does the heavy lifting. Nathaniel begins this story saying, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Clearly not a believer. Nathaniel ends this story saying, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. I mean, this is a total conversion. And isn't that kind of what scares us about evangelism? Isn't that part of it? Because we look at the the scope. I mean, we're talking about a person who doesn't believe, believing, right? And and, and part of it, I think, is isn't it the fear? We're afraid, you know, afraid to open my mouth. I mean, I don't know when and how would I do that. And then we're also feeling rather inadequate. You know, if I get over my fear and actually open my mouth, is anything that comes out going to be helpful? Right? Is the person going to be worse off after I try than beforehand? Right? But isn't it also part of the reason we, we, we get awkward around evangelism is because of the caricatures out there of evangelism? The negative caricatures? You know, I don't want to be that kind of evangelist. You know what I'm talking about. You know, that aggressive, in-your-face evangelist who's kind of aggressive, rude, you know, is evangelizing but doesn't quite have the love of Jesus on their face right? It's stern. It's like that. It's like this evangelism moment where a man gets on the bus, gets on the bus, and he's had way too much to drink, right? He gets on the bus. He's clearly drunk. And there's an evangelist. She's on the bus, and she's, she's got, this is her moment, and she's going to evangelize him by pointing out the reality of his need for God. And she says, you're going to hell. His response, oh, did I get on the wrong bus again? <laughs> I mean, we don't want to be like that. We, we, there's got to be a better picture. Well, John 1 gives us that picture. John 1 clearly defines for us what is our role in evangelism and what is not our role. And I think as we understand that better, as we begin to understand what actually our role is, it's encouraging. Suddenly evangelism doesn't look so crazy and fearful. 
It doesn't look like something we're so inadequate for. So looking at this, we've got six things that happen in this text that move Nathaniel from being a total non-believer to a total believer. And I know I just freaked you all out because I said six. And normally I get about three points, don't I? So I just, I've just promised you a six-point sermon. Well, trust me, it's not going to be six points. I'm really going to fly through the first three and, and then hit the last three. So it's kind of like a three-and-a-half-point sermon. But of course, you can't really believe preachers when it comes to sermon length, can you? It's a little bit like the girl that says to her mother, you know, mommy, what does it mean when the preacher takes his wristwatch off and elegantly lays it down in the pulpit? And mom says, it means nothing at all. <laughs> so here's my six-point sermon in three points, I swear. See, what... what, what Philip is doing, Philip's role is the first three things, the first three actions in this text in John 1. Philip is sharing, okay? This is all about sharing. He's sharing three things. He's sharing community, he's sharing Christ, and he is sharing church. So the first three, we'll go through this quickly. Community, Christ, church. This is what he's sharing. The first thing Philip shares is community. He's sharing community. Verse 45 says that Philip found Nathaniel. It's, it's just three words, but it's, it's significant. He found Nathaniel. In other words, Philip knew Nathaniel. Philip obviously knew where to find Nathaniel because Philip and Nathaniel are friends. And perhaps because Philip has just met Jesus and had this incredible experience, the fact that he goes to Nathaniel first may indicate this is a pretty close friend, maybe his closest friend. So he goes to Nathaniel. He goes to his friend. He is sharing community. He's sharing life with Nathaniel. The first step in evangelism is really basic. We share community. We have friends. And like I said a few minutes ago, hopefully friends outside of our Christian ghettos, right? We actually reach out and have friends. That's the first step. Now, this does not mean that evangelism can't happen between strangers, I mean, we see examples in the book of Acts, Acts 8, for example, where the Ethiopian eunuch and another Philip, a different Philip than this text, Philip the deacon, Philip, total stranger, evangelizes the Ethiopian eunuch, baptized that day. There's examples. But we know in our own lives, and we know actually through church research, that the majority, the overwhelming majority of conversion stories happen because of a friend who is sharing the gospel. So it begins in community. He shares community. He's a friend. That's the first step. We can do that. The second step is that Philip shares Christ. And I know right there, now it gets difficult, right? Like I can be friends, but really share Christ? Well, look very carefully what he says. Verse 45 goes on to say, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, we hear that and we think, woo, that's really heavy theological speech. I mean, he's the one that Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. It's not actually that heavy. This is just a Jewish way of saying, we found the Messiah. We found the one we've been waiting for, right? We found the one that changes everything. And so when Philip here is sharing Christ, he's not sharing, you know, a full orb picture of everything you need to know about Jesus. Philip doesn't even know Jesus that well yet, right? He's just started following him, but he goes as this newbie believer and says, I just want you to know, I found the guy that changed my life. 
You see, sharing Christ here is about sharing our stories of what Christ has done in our lives. It's not necessarily about sharing your conversion story, although that's a great story, but it's, it's about sharing what God has been doing in your life. I mean, your ability to say, I've been going through a rough patch. You know, I really feel like God has answered my prayer in this way. That's a Jesus story. But you know, it's also a Jesus story when you say, I've been going through a real rough patch and it doesn't seem like I'm getting the answers to the prayer that I'm looking for. It's still pretty bad, but guess what? I'm feeling a comfort, I'm feeling a peace which passes understanding because of the promises of scripture. That's a Jesus story. And see, we're so good at storytelling. We're a storytelling people. We do this all the time. I mean, think back to the last social event you were at. What do you do at a social event? You tell stories. This happened at work. This happened with my grandkids, right? We're so good at telling stories. It's what we do all the time. And that's not surprising, by the way, because we're made by the great storyteller, right? God is the great storyteller. We're part of his story. And so is it so surprising that we are storytellers? It's in our DNA. The challenge here is simply that as we talk about sharing Christ, that we bring the Jesus stories into our conversations, We don't just talk about what we did yesterday in this place or that place. We also talk about what Jesus has done in our lives. We share community and we share Christ. We tell our stories. But um, it's not just about sharing community and sharing stories. We've ultimately got to share church. Look what happens. Uh, Nathaniel sort of rebuffs all this. uh, And what does he say? He says in verse 46, he says, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Right? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And now, notice what Philip does. He doesn't try to argue with him. And here's where evangelism often falls down. We worry that if I actually open my mouth and start talking about Jesus, then they're going to have read the most recent Richard Dawkins book, and they're going to have some zingers they're going to throw at me, and I'm not going to know what to say. And, you know, like I said, it's, it's now worse than before, right? I've just demonstrated I don't know what to say, and Christianity is not standing on a firm foundation. Of course it is. You don't have to have all the answers. There's a role for apologetics. There's a role for scholarly debate. But I'll tell you, for years I thought I could convince people to believe. And Philip knows that you can't. You can't argue a person into faith. You need to meet Jesus. Jesus is the one. And that's where we need to his moments, his last three actions. You see, what he does, Philip, in response to this big question, Philip says, come and see. Come and meet Jesus. I mean, what's interesting, of course, is what what Nathaniel's saying is, listen, you said you found the Messiah. There's nothing in Scripture that says the Messiah is supposed to come out of Nazareth. And Philip's like, I don't have an answer for you. Now, Philip will find out in time that, true, there's nothing in Nazareth about the Messiah, but in Scripture, there's a lot about Bethlehem. See, Philip doesn't know where Jesus got born. He doesn't need to know the answers. He just says, come and see. I don't know. Come and see. Come to church. And I say not only is it about sharing community and sharing Christ, but sharing church because church, the gathering of the believers, this is where Jesus has promised to be present. Matthew 18, 20, whenever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of y'all. That's what he says. He's saying that he's right here. And so in the context of the church, we're inviting people, come in, meet the Lord. Meet him in the liturgy. Meet him in our teachings. Meet him in our community. Meet him in our social outings as a church. But come and meet him in the church. Come to church. But notice, of course, that Nathaniel's still not converted yet. It requires Jesus 
three actions, right? If Nathaniel's work was to share community, share Christ, and share church, it's going to be Jesus' work that's going to make the difference in Nathaniel's life. And here's what Jesus does. Three things. Quickly. Jesus sees Nathaniel's potential. Jesus gets personal. And Jesus makes peace. He sees potential, he gets personal, and he makes peace. See, he sees potential. See, the first thing that we see from Jesus' interaction is he sees Nathanael coming towards him. And what does he say? He says, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And and you hear that and you think, oh, wow, Nathanael must have been a really upstanding citizen. I mean, no deceit. He's a really, really good guy. Kind of like a perfect guy, right? Someone I'd want my daughters to meet one day. Uh, You know, I want to see that first boy come through the door one day and be able to say, ah, a Plano resident without deceit. All right, this is good. The, um, the reality, though, is that's, that's, that's impossible because if we read Scripture, we know that there's no such thing as a male or female, a mortal, a human being who is without deceit, except for Jesus, we're going to find out as we read the Scriptures. I mean, when I was newly ordained, um, I think my congregation, the first two years, I think I put Psalm 14 into every sermon. Because I was just trying to hit this so hard. You know, like I needed to convince people, do you know that there's sin in your life? And so, you know, Psalm 14, you know, the Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there's any who understand, any who seek after God. And what's the verdict? They have all turned aside together. They've all become corrupt. There is none who does good, not, own, not even one. I would hit that every week. And then finally, after time, I guess I grew up a little bit and I realized you don't need to work so hard to convince people that they're sinners. You really don't. You just need to give them a mirror. You know, I, I found after time, I, I would go into a, I said this before, I'd go into a Starbucks or be chatting with someone and, and we'd start talking about Jesus. And, and then in time, you know, what, what's the big zinger that typically comes out early on in that kind of conversation? If you've had those kind of conversations, the person will say back to you, well, you know, come on, at the end of the day, I'm a good person. And I used to like say, well, you know, Psalm 14. They don't care what Psalm 14 says. Instead, you know, I say, I say that to them. I say, really? And then I get very quiet. And, and it's amazing what happens within about five seconds. They start giving all the caveats. Well, you know, I, I, mean, I, I mean, I'm not perfect. You know, I'm no Mother Teresa. And the list goes on, you know, because at the end of the day, they know. We all know that we are broken. And so Nathaniel, Jesus can't be saying over Nathaniel, oh, here's a perfect guy coming. No, what is Jesus doing? He's quoting Psalm 32. He's quoting Psalm 32. And when we hear Jesus or Paul or anyone in the New Testament quoting the Old Testament, we have to realize that you got to read the context around it because unlike us, Jesus' hearers knew their Hebrew Bible really, really well. So when Jesus would just give a few words from somewhere in the Old Testament, he's assuming you know the whole context. Here is the context of the phrase, an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. It's Psalm 32, and this is what Jesus is saying over Nathanael. Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. 
See, Jesus is, is, is speaking Psalm 32 over him. He's talking about potential. He's saying, here comes Nathaniel. You know what I can see in this guy? This guy is a candidate for forgiveness. This is a candidate for transformation. I can see the potential of this man's transformation. He too could be forgiven. He too could know what it is to stand righteous before God. And so he sees this potential. And you know, the, the amazing thing is, in my own life, I can't see potential in people very well. And, and, and most of you can't either. Although we're all pretty convinced we can. I, I used to think I'm so good at reading people. You know, I'm, I'm just such a good judge of character. I am actually pretty bad. I'm at like at least 50% of the time I get it dead wrong. You know those people you meet early on and they really bug you? You know, and three years later you're like best friends with them? Or those other people who you love the first moment you meet them and then three years later you're like blocking them on Facebook? I mean, I am a terrible judge of character. Right? I don't see the potential in people, but Jesus can. He sees the full story. He looks at a human life and says, I can see the potential that I can't see. I remember some of you heard this story. I was a youth pastor, and I had this kid in the youth group. Oh, man, Justin. And Justin was that kid who was just like, you know, came out of an unbelieving household. And, you know, I don't know why he showed up at youth group, but he did. And he was aggressive and he got in fights and he was inappropriate. They said inappropriate things to the girls. And, and, and worst of all, he would not listen to my Bible studies very well. I mean, come on. And, and, and I was I, secretly, I was praying what many, many youth ministers pray in that kind of moment secretly. Oh, Lord, take Justin to another youth group. Right? I could not see the potential in this man. And yet a few years later, I left and it was ordained and I was up way up in northern Canada in our first parish up by the Alaska border. And I get this phone call that says, guess what, Paul? Justin's become a Christian. And he wants you to come back and baptize him. And I thought it was a prank call. It's true, though. I, I couldn't see it. I just could not see it. But Jesus can. These people in our lives who are our friends, who we're sharing Christ with, who we're sharing church with, we do not see the potential, but Jesus does. He sees the potential. But then not only does he see the potential, he gets personal. Jesus gets personal with Nathaniel. Verse 47, he says to him, he says to Nathaniel, uh, Nathaniel's response is, um, you know, how do you know me? You know, how do you, this whole Israelite notice, like, how do you know me? And what's Jesus' response? Verse 47, he says, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And I'll tell you, 2,000 years have gone by since this story was told. And none of us have a clue what happened under that fig tree still. I mean, there's been so many people with theories. What was going on with, what was, what was Nathaniel doing under that fig tree? And I'll tell you, um, you know, it's kind of like a Rorschach test. You know, whatever the first thing is that pops into your mind of what you think Nathaniel was doing under that tree, that's probably more about you than Nathaniel. I mean, seriously, we don't know what he was doing, but you know what it, ma- what, it doesn't matter what he was doing. What matters is that it was private, it was intimate, it was significant, it was personal. And what Jesus is saying to Nathaniel in that moment is, I know you. I know everything about you. I saw you under the fig tree. I know you. He gets personal. He gets right in his face. And what he's saying in that moment is, Nathaniel, I've just told you that you have great potential for forgiveness, that God is about to show you incredible love. And, and 
I'm saying that in the context of knowing who you are. I mean, isn't it true that the doctrine of omniscience, the belief that God sees everything, doesn't that make God's love even more gracious? I mean, we actually think about that, that God knows everything, and yet he still loves us and still sends Jesus to die for us. I mean, omniscience makes God's love amazing. He knows us. He gets personal. And not only does he get personal, and not only does he see potential, but finally, Jesus seals the deal by making peace. And here's what I mean. See, he's offering Nathaniel something that Nathaniel could never be offered by anyone else. Verse 50, um, Nathaniel's very impressed about all this. Wow, you know, Jesus, if you knew what I was doing under the fig tree, then you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. But there's yet more to be revealed here because Jesus says, do you believe because I saw you under the fig tree? There's so, you ain't seen nothing yet. And then he says this, he says in verse 51, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And you say, what is that all about? And it's this. Jesus is referring to, again, he's quoting the Old Testament. He's referring to that passage we just read from Genesis 28. He's talking about Jacob's ladder. And, but it's amazing what he says. So here's Jacob's ladder, right? Genesis 28. Jacob has a dream, a vision that there is this ladder between heaven and earth, the place where he's standing, and the angels of God are going up and down on it. And what that vision is saying is, is for Jacob, he says, wow, you know, this expanse between heaven and earth, between a holy God and a sinful humanity, that there's a ladder that can be built. There is a way for us to actually go up to God and I guess for God to come down to us. And here we are almost 2,000 years later, with Jesus saying to Nathaniel, you in your lifetime, in your lifetime are going to see the angels of God ascending and descending. But this time he doesn't say on a ladder. He says, you will see the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And what he's saying in that moment is he's saying, Nathaniel, I'm the ladder. I am Jacob's ladder. In fact, if you want to put it very clearly, the wood of my cross is the wood of that ladder. You see, Jesus is saying, I am the one that is going to bridge heaven and earth. I am the one that is going to bridge the separation between you and my Father, between you, a sinner, and a holy God. That I'm going to make a way that you can actually transverse between earth and heaven. I am Jacob's ladder, and you're going to see it, Nathaniel, in your lifetime. Heaven, access to heaven. I mean, that opening medley we had, that heaven medley, I mean, I just wish at Christ Church we could get a few good musicians. <laughs> do, you know, do you know, I'll tell you, and I, and, and I hope this is okay because Clay told me before, and I'm sure it is, because Clay's just full of gospel. Do you know that Clay's grandfather died a couple weeks ago? Some of you know that? You know, he played that medley at his grandfather's funeral. I mean, that is the picture of the hope that Jesus is giving to Nathaniel. I'm making peace between you and my Father in heaven. I'm making peace for you. As 2 Corinthians 5 says, God made him, that is Jesus, sin, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God. God was in Christ Jesus, reconciling himself to humanity. God was making peace with us. 
so that we could go to heaven, so we could be with God, so we could be with him forever. This is what's being offered. Philip can't do these things. Philip can share community. Philip can share Christ. Philip can share church. But it's only Jesus that can see the potential. It's only Jesus who can get personal. I know you. And it's only Jesus who can make that kind of peace. And of course, Nathaniel, we don't know what happens to him. He doesn't really show up again in the New Testament. We think, wow, it's a nice little story in John 1. We need to turn to the church fathers if we want to find out what happened to Nathaniel. Uh, because there's nothing directly in Scripture. But the church fathers who, you know, let's be honest, lived a little closer to this time than we did. So we can kind of trust their interpretation. They say, Nathaniel, you want to know who Nathaniel is? He's another one of these New Testament figures with double names. You know, Simon, Peter, Matthew, Levi, Saul, Paul, Nathaniel, Bartholomew. One of the 12 disciples, one of the 12 apostles. Did the church fathers say, no, that, that's Nathaniel. Nathaniel is Bartholomew. So today as you go around the world, you don't just see St. Philip churches built around the world. You see St. Bartholomew churches built. Because this man who Philip went to with, as a friend with the stories of Jesus and an invite to church, this man met Jesus. And through this man, Jesus changed the world. Is there hope for timid evangelists? Is there hope for timid evangelists? Back in Victoria, Canada, where I grew up, there was this hard-hearted student. He was a non-believer, and when topics of religion, especially Jesus, came up, he was dismissive, he was arrogant, he was rude. No one could crack this hard nut, but there was this other student, this evangelist student, who was a new Christian, who was his friend, who told him Jesus' stories, and he kept inviting him to church. And finally, that hard-hearted student said yes and visited church. And in that moment, that first visit, that hard-hearted student made a complete 180. And that night, walked home a believer in Jesus. You see, I wasn't the evangelist student in this story. I was the hard-hearted student in this story. My friend Jay was a friend to me. He shared community with me. My friend Jay shared Christ with me, his Jesus stories. Even when I told him to stop, he lovingly just gently worked them in there. And my friend Jay kept sharing church. Come to church. Come to church. It took a lot of invites. But when I finally said yes, Jay's work stopped and Jesus' work began. And he made it happen. He did the rest. Is there hope? There is. We never have a clue what the impact may be when we share community, share Christ, and share church with someone around us. Is there hope? There is hope for timid evangelists. And you don't know now what the impact will be. To God be the glory. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.